Uh, Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 9. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Almighty God, through your Son, you have overcome death and have opened to us the light of eternity. Father, I ask that you would enlighten our minds this morning and kindle our hearts with the presence of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear the words of hope and come to rest in the reading of the scriptures this morning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're uh, going a little bit different direction this morning, and we're just going to be addressing Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 9. Those who are acquainted with God's word might have already realized that our passage this morning provides a vivid account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those who are well acquainted with scripture might understand that these words were written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Interesting enough, uh, portions of this passage are directly quoted in each of the four Gospels, as well as Acts and Romans and Philippians and Hebrews and 1 Peter. You know, if for some reason uh, uh, this entire section were to be lost from the Old Testament, it could be almost completely reconstructed from the New Testament quotations. Nowhere in Old Testament scripture do we come so near to the cross of Jesus as here. I'm not pointing out these fun facts so that you can ace the Bible category of Jeopardy, um, but I want you to understand and I want you to believe that this, right, this book is the infallible word of God. And it is one complete story. It's not a collection of of unrelated anecdotes, as some might say, and, and it holds a consistent, redemptive and historical narrative from the very first page to the very last page. 
right? And despite who is uh, teaching from this pulpit, and it's going to be a couple different guys this morning, I do know that we will all strive to show you how each passage points to a Savior. Each passage points to one Savior, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look forward to celebrating uh, Christ's resurrection next week, I can think of no greater passage, no clearer passage that points to the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. For he has risen. He has risen. uh, You're going to have a test next week, and so I'm going to prepare you for this. Okay, let's try this again. He has risen. All right. All right. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad you're listening. and I can tell Pastor Mark that you are ready for next week. (laughs) Remember your lines. I'm excited to teach this passage from Isaiah this morning because I was required to memorize verses four through six for my gospels class uh, last semester in seminary. And, And since then, I've been wanting, you know, I told you I've been wanting to build a sermon around this text. And uh, you might be confused, right? Like, why on earth was I memorizing this passage from the Old Testament for a class on the first four books of the New Testament? Well, that's a fair question. Let's read verses 4 through 6 one more time. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were asked to memorize this passage, these, uh, these, these few verses from my Gospels class, because this is the Gospel. This is it. This is the good news. This is the message that brings us together week after week. This is the message that has brought Christians together week after week for generations. And it will continue to do so until the Lord returns. As the gospel is good news because it doesn't depend on me. And it doesn't depend on you. It solely rests on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Two weeks ago, I was preaching, and I, and I told you of this silly language that we learn in seminary, right? My friends back in, in Colorado, uh, they're a little bit more lax, and, and they call this language Christianese, right? These things that Christians love to say, right? And, and according to Scripture, in really great minds that have written about it, the gospel is good news based on Christ's penal substitution. That might not sound like good news. That's an odd phrase, but hear me, hear me out, right? In penal substitution... The penalty that is due to us for our transgressions is paid in full by a substitute, namely Christ. If I were to translate this concept of penal substitution into modern street language, it would say this. It would say, I got you covered, right? And and being Southern, we love to really shorten phrases and make them short. And you could simply say, I got you. I got you. As most of you know, my family and I just moved back into our home here in Missouri City. We had a a little water leak, and a five-week restoration project turned into five months. What you might not know is that uh, exactly one year ago, my family was moving back into our home in Kerrville after being displaced from our home for months due to a mold leak that led to a kitchen and bath remodel. 
until this time, uh, you know, unlike this time, you know, uh, last year I had to do all of the work myself. And we had a we had a really awesome church family and uh, that had a vacation home not far from our house. And, and Abby and the kids were, were able to, to stay there while I parked my parents' 13-foot travel trailer in my driveway, and I was living out of that while I was rebuilding our home. The day I brought that trailer home from uh, East Texas, uh, I started getting kind of sick. And it turned into this rather difficult case of COVID, right? After, after 10 days, my symptoms kind of kept getting worse, and they were getting worse, and, and, and I was quarantined alone in this little 13-foot trailer I'm, I'm six foot four, y'all. <laughs> uh, this thing is half of me. And, and, and at that time, doctors weren't offering a lot of treatment for COVID, and I didn't really know what to do. So uh, I was venting to one of my friends, Craig, uh, on the phone one day, and, and Craig knew just what to do. You see, Craig, Craig was a real cowboy. I mean, we were living in Kerrville. It's, it's you know, right there on the edge of the hill country in West Texas, and, and Craig was a cowboy. He roped bulls in the rodeo, and he owned a couple of horses. And, and I ended up turning down his generous offer to eat a couple tubes of his horse dewarming medicine. Um, but he did offer me another solution. He had a friend who could come to my house and, and offer this, this vitamin infusion and some injections, and, and it worked really well for him. And, and so um, I was like, all right, all right let's, let's give this thing a go. So this really nice lady came to my house, um, and she gave me this ridiculous cocktail and an IV for about an hour and, and several injections of vitamins on top of that. And then at the end, she handed me the bill, $495. I was thousands of dollars into this home remodel. I was sick with COVID. I was feeling absolutely awful, and I had this bill that I had absolutely no earthly idea how I was going to pay and when she saw my eyes light up, she didn't skip a beat, right? All she said was, call Craig. I didn't understand, right? So I, I pick up my phone, I, I dial Craig's number, and, and the phone didn't even ring, and Craig picks up. And I hear this other voice on the line, and it says, brother, I got you. Don't worry about it. He was expecting my call. He was prepared to take on this burden Craig took my sorrows, he took my grief, and he paid my debt. I got you. The vitamins worked wonders, and I was better in a couple days and headed right back into fixing up the home. Um, but I'll never forget the voice on that phone, the other end of the line, and he just said, I got you. The principle of penal substitution undergirds the old covenant sacrificial system. In Genesis 2, God told Adam that the penalty of sin was death. And in the old covenant sacrifices, the people uh, placed their hands on, on sacrificial animals, thereby they were identifying with them. And then the animals were put to death in, in accordance with the Old Testament law. And this, this act, this transfer of sin, this transfer of guilt from the sinner to the sacrifice, the substitute, the sinner could live because the animal died in the sinner's place. This sacrifice took the place of the punishment that the sinner deserved. As the New Testament tells us in Hebrews, uh, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. The animal sacrifices of the old covenant did not affect true atonement. They were only types and shadows that pointed to the one true atoning sacrifice, which was offered once and for all on Calvary. 
by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that we understand this, uh, this idea of penal substitution, this idea of I got you, right? let's return to our text to glean several truths from our passage this morning. Specifically, we are going to look at three facets of this mysterious individual that the Lord has revealed to Isaiah, as described in, in verses 1 through 9. First, we are introduced to the rejected person. Then we see the vicarious sufferer. And finally, we will see the atoning lamb. Right, we have these three, these three facets, the rejected person, the vicarious sufferer, and the atoning lamb. First, we see that God uses the unassuming and rejected individual to fulfill his purposes. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is Isaiah saying, saying here, right? right? Here is the Savior that my people need, and to, and, uh, need to look forward to. The Israelites were worried. Right? They are tired, they are weary, they are stuck in Babylonian captivity. And, and the God of Israel is relating to his people, to them, that he is in control. Right? That he is with them. That's what much of the book of Isaiah tells us. Right? Earlier in chapter 49, the Israelites are convinced. They're utterly convinced that the Lord has forsaken them. The Lord has forgotten them. They're stuck in bondage. But in Isaiah chapter 49, the prophet assures them that the one who made them will continue to care for them as long as they live. Verse 2, the Lord reveals to them, One who grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. This isn't very promising. A young plant is, and is, an, is an exciting and magical thing. Right? Steve and I were just talking about uh, plants and, 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 and his love of gardening last week. Right? And, and I do not have a green thumb at all, but it's really exciting to meet people who do. I'm in just in awe over this. And, but we, we could both be in awe of the promising life that comes from this little bitty seed. Right? Here this plant is coming from dry ground. This cannot be good. This is not promising, right? Have you ever driven across the desert? Right? You can spend hours driving out west through barren and brown landscape, through Texas, through New Mexico, through Arizona. And if you were on this drive, what are the odds that you would find a bright green head of lettuce growing out of the sand in the absolute middle of the desert in Arizona? It would be nothing short of an absolute miracle. The coming of Christ was just like that. His day could have never produced him. At his time of, of, uh, of birth, right, Christ and, and the family of David had been cut off from kingship. Right? They, were, they, were no longer, they were no longer princes but peasants. God had promised that this king to come would come from the line of David, but, but they were no longer kings. They were merely peasants, for, for Christ was born and placed in a manger, and there was no room for them in the inn. This is extremely unassuming. Now the plant metaphor ends, and, and verse 2 continues. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Interesting. Now we're getting into an image of a man. Pastor Wheat uh, recently preached on Samuel's anointing of King David. 
right? Do you, do you remember this story? Um, Samuel followed God's lead, right, to go to the house of Jesse where he was to anoint and replace Saul, right? He was to anoint the new king on the throne, God's chosen one. And so uh, Samuel makes this journey and <clears throat> arrives at the house, and, and uh, Jesse parades out his first son, right? He was tall. He was strong. I mean, King Saul, the current king of Israel, was this tall, strong, mighty warrior, and out comes from, from Jesse, his first son, right? And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks on the heart. And so the next son comes out and, nope. And the next one comes out and, nope. Right? And seven of Jesse's sons are paraded before Samuel, but none of them were the Lord's chosen. God had chosen the last son, David, who was out in the fields tending the sheep. It's very unassuming. Unlike the mighty King Saul or, or King David after him, the Lord's Savior that we read about in Isaiah was despised. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah says in verse 3, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The prophet Isaiah is telling God's people to be on the lookout for a rejected Savior. He points directly at Jesus Christ, the better David who was despised, mocked, and ridiculed. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Secondly, we see in these passages that the prophet Isaiah points to a, a Savior who is a vicarious sufferer. We see this theme in, in verses 4 through 6, right? We've already uh, discussed this section, and, and we've looked at the idea of penal substitution, and that's found here, but let's look at a few pieces of each one of these verses again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Savior to come would suffer greatly. He would suffer on behalf of God's chosen people. Did you catch that? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Friends, the gospel is good news because it offers hope to the lost. And it offers rest to the weary. This last year has been a doozy, not just for me, but for us as a church. We've had water leaks and career changes, moves that have happened and moves that are to come. We have family issues, work issues, exhaustion, sickness, sadness, anxiety. The Bible does not offer, it does not promise a life of wealth and health. In fact, it seems to speak clearly of the exact opposite. The burden of life often seems too great to bear. But friends, the good news is you are not alone. There is hope in the Lord. There is hope as the Lord promises one who will bear the burden of this life with you and for you. Perhaps the analogy uh, to, to use here is, is, is that of one of a mother carrying a child. Right? I've got four kids, and um, Abby and I were really good at reading to the first three children. Every single night, kid four comes along, 
Sorry, Grace. She's not paying attention. Um, the reading kind of stopped, you know, like the, the busyness of life caught on. But, but recently, Abby and I were talking. We decided, no, like we, we, we got to get back to reading with, with kid number four. We cannot neglect this duty, right? So, so we're bringing back reading to our children. And, and one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books to read uh, my kids, one that my mom, I remember reading to me, is called Love You Forever. And in it, it depicts a mom rocking her baby to sleep, singing this, right? I, I'll love you forever. I'll like you always. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. And this little bitty baby grows up into a toddler, and he's running amok in the house and, and knocking everything over and taking the toilet paper off and just stringing it about the house. But, but every single night, she takes that child in her arms, and she sings, I'll love you forever. I'll like you always. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. And the toddler grows into a messy child and, and a rebellious teenager and so on and so forth. And the mother continues to rock that child to sleep, whispering promises of a never-ending up, a never-giving-up, always-and-forever kind of love. Our promise from God is a reassurance that he will never stop caring and carrying his people. In Isaiah 46, God addresses the house of Israel, and he says this, You have been born by me from before your birth, carried in the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And to the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and I will save. Like the mother repeatedly singing to her rambunctious child who's always making a mess, right? She, she rocks his child to sleep. God, too, continually promises his never-ending love for us, despite our mess. The hope and the rest promised in Isaiah will come in the form of a vicarious sufferer who bears our burdens, who is no stranger, and he is laden with our iniquities. Finally, in verses 7 through 9, we are promised an atoning lamb. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. I find it really interesting that, that you and I are compared to sheep who have gone astray, right? Each our own way, right? We do not like adversity. We don't like grief. We don't like sorrow. We run as far as we can from those things. And much of our lives is running away. Yet we're presented with verse 7 that tells us of a promised Savior who is this innocent lamb that is quietly being led to the slaughter. He's running towards calamity, not away from it like us. Had Jesus spoken up, he, he clearly could have saved himself, right? But like a sheep, before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Jesus was silent. In fact, Jesus was mocked for being silent on the cross. There were two criminals hanging next to Jesus, and, and one of them teased him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Save yourself and save us. The other rebuked him and said, What's wrong with you? Do not fear God. You and I deserve this punishment, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you this day that you will be with me in paradise. 
He was hanging next to the Lamb of God who was bearing his sin in his own body on that tree. How does one look upon that middle cross and see a Savior? Only by revelation, right? It is only by God's grace. The one guy looked on and he thought, he thought all he would do is, I'm just going to curse this man and I'm going to die. And the other said, wait a minute, right? We don't deserve, we deserve to be up here. But he doesn't. This man on the middle cross does not deserve to be up there. And somehow, in the midst of that moment, the lights go on and this, this, this one man figures it out. He figures it out enough to say, Hey, Lord, will you remember me when we, you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, You bet your life I will. Today you will be with me in paradise. The one guy on the other side didn't get it. This guy got it. Wow. That's amazing grace. Jesus told him, I got you, brother. I got you. Can you imagine what it would be like? Um, now this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to close in a little bit of conjecture here. This is something they tell you not to do in your preaching classes. Um, but please bear with me. Bear with me to the end. Um, and you don't have to listen to this, right? You, 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 I, but I'd like you, I'd like you to, to stick with me. Can you imagine, right? So, so this one guy dies, and, and, and the next thing, he's in paradise, Right? The angelic forum is, is up there in heaven, and Jesus dies, and they're all wondering, all right, all right, who's going to make it to heaven first? Who's going to be the first one? And boom, Jesus. All right, good, good. And then this guy arrives, the guy next to him on the cross. And the angels look at him and say, who are you? How did you get here? Frankly, I, I, I don't really know, right? I don't really know. And, and the, inter, the interviewing angel began to look at him and he says, all right, well, why are you justified by faith? Like I says, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, what, what do you mean by that? I don't know. The angel says, well, well have you been sanctified? <laughs> he replies, no, I, I don't think so. Okay, well, were you in a, a weekly Bible study? <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. I didn't have time for any of that. Well, at least you had to have been baptized as a believer, right? <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? And the guy, the, the angel says, wait here. Wait right here because I, I have to go find my supervisor and, and I'm going to have to get back to you. So, so the angel goes away and he finds his supervisor and the supervisor comes back and, and starts on the same thing. And this poor guy can't answer any of these questions. And eventually the angel presses him and says, Look, on what basis have you shown up here today? And the man replies, Only one. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. And look, friends, you will, you will have nothing else to say on the day you stand before the bar of God's judgment. I don't care if you, you preach till you're blue in the face, and I don't care if you're the best Sunday school that's ever uh, the world and the church have ever seen. You can be the most amazing mother that has ever lived. But at the end of the day, you will only have one thing to say. I'm here because the man on the middle cross paid the price. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and he bore my sin.
and I am trusting entirely in what he has done. So I'll leave you with this final question. Who or what has got you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your mercy and grace. We are your undeserving servants, and we ask that you would humbly extend your grace to us each and every day. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, and we look to you this week. As we, as we approach Easter, as we approach this celebration, let us remember you and what you have done. Thank you for having us. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen.